Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Today, we are in part seven of our summer sermon series entitled, Here Am I, Send Me. Actually, the title of this sermon series is sort of depending on who's preaching, I think. Some of us just call it, Send Me. That's what the graphic says. And uh, some people say, here am I, send me. Either works. Don't stress about it too much. Like if you're a note taker, write whatever you want at the top of the page and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. What I want to do is I want to read right away. I want to jump into what is our anchor text in this series, which is in Isaiah chapter 6. It's this vision that the prophet Isaiah has taken into and he's doing his best to give language to what he's seeing in this vision. So I want to read it together. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, and it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me, send me. Uh, Last week, we made a shift in our series from talking about the here am I component of this series to the send me component of our anchor text. You know, we spent the first five weeks intentionally looking about uh, and and describing and unpacking the call of God, which comes from his nature. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6. But but the call of God really is this, is what Jesus said to the disciples, he says, follow me. We've been talking about, like, before we talk about send me, before we step into the mission of God, we have to understand that the first call to all of us who are followers of Jesus is to follow Jesus, which is to organize our lives around proximity to him. It's not about what all just the things that we do and the responses to what he says, but it's about knowing Jesus. That's where we anchor our lives. And so we spent the first five weeks talking about what it looks like to locate ourselves as followers of Jesus in proximity to him. Because he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The work that Jesus does in us as we live in proximity to him is he equips us and prepares us and sends us to become fishers of men in the world around us. We've talked about the difference between the call of God, which is proximity to Jesus, which is for all of us, and the commission of God, which is the unique calling and task that God has put on your life as a follower of Jesus. We're all called to follow him, but we have a unique commission in response to that call. So to say, here am I, recognizes where we are. When we say, send me, it recognizes where God is taking us. And so last week, Pastor Ben made that shift in the series as we begin to look at what it means to say, send me, in response to the call of God. And so if you've missed any of this series, I want to encourage you to jump on YouTube or the podcast and 
and catch up because I really believe it's setting us up well for the season that we're stepping into as a church together. Now, I'm going to continue on in that vein today, and I'm going to read a good chunk of Scripture. I was always told as a youth pastor, you shouldn't read a lot of Scripture, and then I thought, that's really bad advice. Like, if we should, we should read the Bible in church. And some of you, I don't know who, but some of you, I know you're here. You're like, I had a, a bad week of Bible reading. I missed some days. We're going to catch up. <laughs> you're going to get you caught up. And you're going to like, you're either going to end the week well, however you think, or you're going to start the week well, okay? So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 1 to 30. And then... Verse 39 to 42, okay? So buckle up. John chapter four, starting in verse one. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had learned that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, who is called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain all of this to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. You all right for a few more verses? Jump down to verse 39. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Look at that. You made it. See, you can do that on your own, too. Don't stress. It's a good thing. Last week, Pastor Ben looked at a pretty crazy story in the Gospels of a man that we've entitled the demoniac. And what we see in that story is just how far Jesus would go out of his way to set this man free to restore him from the things that had him bound and then send him to tell his story to the whole region of all that he has done. But this story that we've just read, the story of the woman at the well is actually very similar in outline. We see Jesus, he goes out of his way to a place most people would not have expected him to go. And he finds a person that most people would not expect him to seek out. And through a different yet equally powerful encounter, this woman is sent back to her hometown to tell a story of all that Jesus had done in her life. And the result is that a revival breaks out in her town. People are changed. Now, maybe last week, if you heard the message, you have a hard time seeing yourself in the story of the demoniac. You think like he was naked in caves, cutting himself, breaking chains. It's hard for me to relate to that in, as I see it. But I think all of us can find ourselves at some level in this story. Because the things that had defined this woman's life are often the things that try to define our life and our story. And just like Jesus stepped into her story and began to completely rewrite it, he, he, ta- he tears down certain things, he builds up new things. I believe that Jesus would love to do the same in my life and in yours. And as he rewrites our story, he wants to send us into his mission to tell others of all that he's done. But the first question is this, is who is this woman? What do we know about her? How do we see ourselves in the midst of her story? Here's some things that we know. We know that this woman was a social outcast. And how do we know that? It's not told to us explicitly, but we know that because of the circumstances surrounding her going to get water. It's said that Jesus stopped at this well at about the middle of the day. It was about noon. And then this woman came out to draw water sometime after that. She came in the middle of the day when it would have been the hottest, and she came alone. Now, normally this activity would have been a really social activity. People would have come out together, but they would have come out in the cooler parts of the day, in the mornings or in the evenings. They would have come with their friends and their neighbors to do this task together. But this woman is all alone in the middle of the day when most people wouldn't come. She's there alone. She's an outcast. Why is she an outcast? It's likely because of her reputation. We learn through this conversation that she has with Jesus that this woman has some pretty major relational baggage. She's been married and divorced five times. She's with another man who's not her husband. Now listen, we live in a quite a, like a liberal culture, don't we? And even if we had met somebody that has been married and divorced five times, we would say, oh, that's tough. 
Like that's a lot to process. That's a lot to walk through. We might even have questions of someone in that situation, but in this conservative culture, this was bad. Like this gets you put on the outside of the community. This gets you labeled. This is challenging. Now we're not told about why she's been divorced so many times. Like maybe it's her fault. Maybe every time she's been married, she just makes horrible decisions and whatever, and she's just divorced. Or maybe over and over and over again, this woman had been neglected and abused and discarded. Maybe none of it was her fault. But no matter what the reason is, we know that this would have carried a heavy stigma one that left her as an outcast in the social order of things. And you add all of this up, and we find this woman, she's lonely, she's isolated, and she's dealing with a ton of shame. She's lonely, she's isolated, and she's ashamed. Have you ever felt those things before? Have you ever been in that place? Ever felt like life has just left you feeling like isolated and alone? Like, I just don't know where to find myself, to locate myself in regards to others. Have you ever felt like your shame defines you or disqualifies you? Like the mistakes you've made, the situations you found yourself in, just like, I'm damaged goods. I'm just covered in shame. And we do our best to try to like push it aside or ignore it, but it's there. I think every person we walk past deals with shame at some level. It's there. It's part of our human experience. Maybe we don't have the exact same reasons for feeling the shame as this woman, but we know that feeling of shame. We're acquainted with that. But something happens in this interaction between Jesus and this woman. Jesus meets her in her shame, in her isolation, but by the end of this kind of awkward conversation, honestly, something changes. And I don't know like, if she still felt some shame, but something changes where she was coming out to try to avoid everybody. And by the end of this interaction, she runs back into her town. She starts telling her story and revival breaks out. And an entire city has changed. And so my question is, is what happened to cause this kind of transformation? Because can we agree this is a bit of an awkward conversation? What's going on beneath the surface? What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus getting at in her heart to lead her to this type of change? There's a few things that I notice. The first is this, is that we see Jesus crosses every possible barrier to get to her. We don't always see this just on the surface, but as we look just beneath the surface, we see the, the things that Jesus had to overcome, the barriers he had to step over in order to get to this woman. Like first, he had to cross cultural barriers. Jesus is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. There's a lot of conversation about that or a lot of things said about that in this conversation. But this is significant because the Samaritans were cultural enemies of the Jews. Like there is generations of deep hatred towards one another, these two groups of people. They did not like each other. She didn't even know what to do when Jesus started the conversation. She says, did you catch that? She's like, hold on, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you even asking me for water? Because there would have been rules. Like, I don't even think it would have been culturally appropriate for Jesus to drink water out of her jar. Like, he just, it wasn't something that you do. In fact, Jews didn't even travel through Samaria most of the time. If they had to get to the opposite side of Samaria, they would walk around the whole region rather than taking the shortcut through the region. Like, that's how deep-seated 
This is, but if you notice in verse four, it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. The truth is he didn't have to. There was a road around Samaria he could have taken. But Jesus makes a conscious decision, seemingly compelled by some great cause to go where people like him would normally avoid at all costs. He crosses cultural barriers. He crosses gender barriers. Obviously, she was a woman and he was a man. And that sounds really offensive to use that against her. But in this culture, there was a massive gap between the way genders were treated and seen and valued. Women were so much lower on the social order of things. And it would be highly unlikely for a man, especially a man of any kind of like standing in the community, to engage in a conversation with a woman he didn't know in a public place. You get the sense of this tension when the disciples return from town with food and they're saying like, why is Jesus talking to a woman? Like they didn't say it, but they were like feeling it. Like what? Jesus like, not only did you bring us to Samaria, we hate this place. You're talking to a woman. Like what is happening right now? His disciples are confused because those things just didn't happen. He crossed gender barriers. He crossed religious and moral barriers. Like Jesus is this upstanding religious figure. He is a rabbi. It says at the beginning that, that he was gaining popularity, that, that people were beginning to follow him. And this woman had the worst reputation. You just wouldn't think that a guy like Jesus would be with a woman like this. All of her baggage that had left her ostracized and marginalized in her community was the reason Jesus shouldn't be near her. All of the religious standards would say that Jesus should have nothing to do with a woman like this. See, Jesus' culture had all of the lists, all of the barriers, all of the reasons that these two people should be separated. But this is where we find Jesus in the most unlikely of places. He didn't let cultural barriers keep keep him from reaching this woman. He didn't let the opinions of others keep him from this conversation. And the good news today is that Jesus is still exactly like this. This is still the heart of Jesus, that Jesus is willing to cross barriers to reach people like you and me. People with baggage, people with issues, people with a past and with mistakes. What this tells me is that no one is too far gone for Jesus. Like nobody, no heart is too hard, no mistake is too great for Jesus to cross barriers and step into our stories and begin to write a new story. No one is beyond the reach of his love and his grace. Because Jesus crosses barriers to reach the most unlikely people. The second thing we see in this interaction, we see Jesus, he reestablishes her worth. He reestablishes her worth. A large part of this encounter was about trying to help this woman find and step into a new identity. You see, in this culture, a woman could not initiate divorce from her husband. She had no legal right in that regard. But a husband could just sign a little bit of paperwork and, send, and divorce his wife and send her packing. No responsibility anymore for her care. So imagine, five times this has happened. No, no legal standing. Five different men have made the decision to sign a piece of paper and send her on her way. Left to try to put the pieces of her life back together and seeing her reputation with her friends and the community fall apart. You can imagine the labels that people would have put on her. 
the words and the looks that she would have received. There's that woman. The whisper saying, did you hear? Another guy sent her packing. What did she do this time? There goes damaged goods. The looks, the shame, the whispering. But then in the middle of the day, at a lonely well, Jesus puts himself in the middle of her story. And he begins to rewrite it. He begins to say something different and new. See, our past mistakes, they love to try and shape our identity today, don't they? You ever struggle with that? You try to like live out a new identity, but it's that shame of those mistakes from your past that come to the forefront. They try and tell us these mistakes and the shame that we are the sum total of all of our mistakes and all of our missteps. They say things like this, you'll never be more than that failed relationship. You'll always be a loser. You lost before, you'll lose again. Those things say that you'll never be trustworthy. You'll always be an addict. You'll always have this issue. And we live our lives with these labels that we put on ourselves or that others have put on us and they shape our entire identity. But Jesus, he steps into stories like yours and mine and he begins to rewrite them like he did for this woman and he he wants to reestablish our worth and our value because the good news of the gospel and the message of God's coming kingdom is that we don't need to be known by our worst mistakes. That Jesus has a new identity that we can receive and step into. And he doesn't see us as our mistakes label us. Jesus sees us as we were created all the way back at the beginning. It says this, that we were made in the image of God. Like that's how he sees us. And now through Jesus, like we are in Christ. So when the father sees us, he sees his perfect son. That's the identity that we receive in Jesus. Jesus speaks a better word over our life than our mistakes and our shame. Jesus wants to do this in my life. He wants to do this in your life, and he wants to do this in every life of those people we know and love. Others might keep you at arm's length because of your past or try to label you because of your mistakes, but Jesus, he's ready, he's willing, he's so kind to step into the middle of our story to reestablish our true value and identity. But Jesus doesn't actually even stop there. It would have been really nice of him to go all all the way out of his way, go to a place he shouldn't go, say some nice things, and just send her on her way feeling a little bit better about herself. It's like, at least that guy didn't treat me like garbage and just go on her life. That would have been a nice thing for Jesus to do. But he actually goes further. Because, you know, Jesus isn't content to just deal with the outward things of our life. He wants to deal with our heart. He wants to go to the root of things. He wants to uproot the things that are damaging, and he wants to plant new life there. And this is what he does throughout the rest of this conversation, is he reorders her worship. He reestablished her value, but now he reorders her worship. This woman is like us in a lot of ways, that we are constantly trying to find something to fulfill the deepest longings of our heart. Every one of us are doing that. It's a human thing. We're trying to find something to satisfy, something to fulfill, something that that gives us purpose and meaning. This woman was no different. Her issue wasn't men. Her issue was that her worship was just misplaced. She was trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the wrong places. She didn't see where it was meant to be seated. And the truth is that all of us, every one of us in the room, every person we walk past on the street, we all worship something. The question is not, do you worship or do you not worship? The question is, what do you worship? 
What do you put your faith in? Worship is the thing that we make ultimate in our lives. It's the thing uh, that, that we're trying to, looking to, to, to satisfy those deep longings of our heart. It's the thing we place our identity in. And the scary part about that is that so many of the things that we choose to worship can't deliver on their promise to satisfy us. But we keep going back to those wells. We keep going back again and again and again because we are made and designed to worship. We do this all the time. For some, we, we, we try to do this in money. So we think if I can just get a little bit more, if I can just gain a few more things, then I'll feel secure, then I'll feel happy, then I'll feel satisfied. And then you work and work and work and you get there and it's empty again. And you go back through the cycle. For some, we try to find this in sex. We're drawn to the power or the promise of passion and love. But after the thrill is worn off and we've made this thing ultimate, it just leaves us empty and broken. For some, we try to find this in our family. It's like if I can just have like the, the right spouse and the perfect kids and if they can just behave the right way and if they can just go to the, do the right things and if I can live a little bit vicariously through them to do the things that I couldn't do before, then I'll be happy and then I'll feel good and then one day they leave and then you're left alone and you don't know what to do with your life anymore. It's an empty thing. Many of us are trying to find this in our career and our success. Like if I can just land that job, if I can just make that promotion, if I can just get to that place, then I'll feel satisfied. Then life will make sense. And then you get there and it's empty again. For some, we try to find it in our beauty or our social status, our power or our popularity. Our hearts are wired to worship. And we're trying to find something to satisfy. We're going to all of these different wells of our culture to try to find something that'll quench the thirst of our heart, but it leaves us empty. They promise to satisfy. They promise to fulfill, but they can't. And no matter how many times we come back to that well, we're left thirsty again. But did you hear what Jesus said? He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's not talking about water. We get that, I think. He's talking about something deeper. He says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What's he saying? He's saying the thing you're looking for the thing every person we, we work with and walk past and live near, the thing we're all looking for, that significance, that fulfillment, that satisfaction, it's all found in him. That's it. It's only found in him. The thing that we're looking for, the thing that we're longing for is Jesus. He's the only one that can satisfy that thirst. Now, this is a really massive claim for Jesus to make. And if we decide that what he's saying isn't true, then it doesn't matter. But if it is true, it is the only thing that matters. Nothing else could matter more than getting, figuring this out if what he's saying is true. Because your heart was made to worship. Your heart is looking for, longing for fulfillment and satisfaction. And Jesus is saying, it's only found in me, and he asks for our worship. He asks to be made ultimate in our life, not because he's insecure, but because he knows it's the only way to life that is full. It's the only way to life that is truly life. Listen, as a church, this is our message to our communities. 
We have to and we will do a lot of things to meet the physical needs of people in our cities, in Surrey and Squamish and across the North Shore and wherever God will send us next. We're gonna like give drink to the thirsty. We're gonna give food to the hungry. We're gonna clothe the naked. We're gonna befriend the lonely. We're gonna do all of those things. But the message is not look what we can do for you. Those are a means to a far greater end, which is this, is that Jesus can satisfy the longings of your heart. Jesus can quench your thirst. Are you thirsty? Are you tired of going to these old wells? Jesus is the answer to those things. Jesus is closer than you know. Jesus is better than you think. And he is actually what your heart longs for. Jesus reorders her worship. So he's crossing barriers to get to her. He's reestablishing value. He's reordering worship. And then he invites her into his mission. What's the mission of Jesus? It's said different ways, but in Luke 19, Jesus says of himself, he says, the son of man, speaking of himself, has come to seek and save the lost. It says this, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I love this detail. It says, that, it says this, leaving her water jar behind. That water jar, the thing that I think in some ways symbolized her shame symbolized the place in her life where she was stuck, symbolized her isolation and her loneliness. She leaves it behind. And she goes to the same people who knew her previous reputation, the same people that would have shunned her, the same people that would have said hurtful things to her, the same people, and she says, come and see. You've got to come and see. You've got to come and see. Did she have all the answers yet? No, she's had one awkward conversation with Jesus that something changed. Like, did, did she, had, has she worked out all of her doubts? No. Like, had she taken, like, the right personality profiles to figure out the best way for her to share the gospel based on her personality traits? I'm an Enneagram, whatever. No, she hadn't done any of those things. She has an encounter with Jesus, and then she goes and she makes the most simple gospel presentation ever. Come and see. I don't know what to tell you, but you've got to come and see. I don't have all the answers yet, but you've got to come and see. I, I, I'm not a finished product yet, but Jesus is changing me. You've got to come and see. And revival breaks out in her town based on her gospel message. Come and see. That's it. Come and see. So what does Jesus do to take this woman from being isolated, alone, and ashamed and using her story to see revival change a city. Well, he crosses every barrier and steps right into the middle of her story. He rewires and reestablishes her worth. He reorders her worship to make it on the right things. And then he invites her into his mission. So what's our response to this then? Like, how do we frame this? How do we put this into place in the context of all that we've been talking about in this series? What does this mean for us? I think there's two responses. They're simple, but they're hard. The first is this, is that with the Holy Spirit's help, we need to be like this woman. We need to allow Jesus into that, those places of shame 
We need to allow Jesus into those places of hurt. We need to allow Jesus to reorder things in our life. We need Jesus to say, hey, you've been trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in your work, in these relationships, in your image, and it's never going to work. Let me reorder those things. Let me, let me put myself in the right place again. Let me, let me sh- shift and change how you see yourself in the world. Like, like, let me change those things. We need to let Jesus into those places. And then we need to let him be, send us to all the places that we always go with a simple message that says, come and see. Like at some point, we have to take on the responsibility and the call to say something. Like if Jesus is as good as we say he is in here, we have to say something out there eventually. Like if Jesus really is transforming us, there's a responsibility at some point for us to open our mouths and you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to have it all figured out and you don't have to be a finished product yet to say, come and see. He's changing me. He's working in my life. And here's what's powerful about this picture. We read it at the end. Is they came because of her words, but they were changed because of his words. We don't have to bear the responsibility and the weight of changing people's hearts. We never could anyways. But Jesus is really good at it. Jesus can handle that. We bear the responsibility of telling people what he's done for us. Come and see. Listen, the people in your neighborhoods, the people that you work with, your family that are far from Jesus, it's our responsibility to say, come and see. Just like, look what he's doing. Let, like, come into the journey along with me. Let's walk this out. Let me point you towards Jesus. With the Holy Spirit's help, we need to be like this woman. Let him into our story. And let him give us a message to share. But secondly, with the Holy Spirit's help, we need to be like Jesus. Now, in case you're wondering, we are not Jesus in this story. And Christians, we have a really bad habit of trying to make ourselves the heroes of stories. Have you ever had someone talk to you about like the story of David and Goliath? And like, you're like David, slaying giants. You're not David in that story. I'm not David in that story. We're like the cowardly Israelites on the hill. Like that's who we are. Jesus is the hero of all the stories, not us. We are not Jesus, but we are called to imitate Jesus, to live in his way, to model our lives after his own as he changes us by his Holy Spirit. And something about this story gives us a window into the heart of Jesus and his posture towards the world is that he's not afraid of the mess of people's lives. He's not trying to stay clean and and stay away and keep an arm's length away from us. He's willing to let his reputation be tarnished in the eyes of some to get to those who need to hear the good news. I think far too many of us as Christians are known for the barriers we put up rather than the barriers we'll cross over. And I know that's not the heart of most of us, but that's sometimes where we get stuck in. We create new barriers for people to cross. If you do this, and if you look like this, and if you clean yourselves up, then you can come to Jesus. We are not the Savior, but we must be willing to step over the barriers to share the message of Jesus? Like, are we willing to lay down our reputations with religious people to be associated with those people, whoever those people might be? Are we a community here in this church 
that people who are far from God can come and see what Jesus is like without someone adding to their shame. We have to be. We have to be, because that's our story. None of us earned our way into God's plan. None of us earned our way into salvation. It was freely given to us. We have to be a place that people can come and see and journey towards Jesus without us adding to their shame. But we can't just be like a come and see in the church building kind of community. It can't just be like, I guess come to church only. That's a good place to start. But are we a community who are not content just to wait for others to come to a building? but are willing to go to the lonely wells of our cities and neighborhoods and find people that Jesus loves and say, come and see. It's easy to say. It's easy to say, God, send me. It's easy to get pumped up in a church service and then to be quiet the rest of the week or live locked in our shame. But if we're gonna say, Jesus, send me, with the Holy Spirit's help, we gotta be like this woman and say, Jesus, do what you got to do. Come meet me in my shame. Let's deal with this stuff. Let's deal with my worship. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we need to be like Jesus. Can we stand? As we respond and pray, I wonder if there's some water jars we just need to leave behind today. That thing that represented this woman's shame and her guilt, all the mistakes or the pain of her past, whatever it is, she leaves it behind and steps into the mission because she met Jesus. And the invitation for all of us as we come into the presence of Jesus is to leave those things behind and to walk out without them. You don't need that anymore. You don't need the lonely wells anymore. You don't need to go to these places anymore because Jesus satisfies, because Jesus changes. And as we leave those water jars behind, there's a message and a mission for us to carry. It's not ours to bear the weight of our own, but we join Jesus in what he's already doing and the conversations he's already having with people all across our city. Jesus, where are the lonely wells? Where are the people you're calling me to just say, come and see? And it's not on you and it's not on me alone. The Holy Spirit is empowering the things that we do, but do we just need to leave some water jars behind today? We're going to respond in worship, but I want to pray that whatever that might be in your life, that today the Holy Spirit would point that out and empower you to say, leave it alone. Like, leave, drop it behind and step into the mission that he has because the mission is great. How many people in our cities, how many people in our neighborhoods are coming to lonely wells like this woman? And Jesus is saying, if I could just have someone that would sit by the well and say, come and see. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come right now. God, come and meet us in those places of brokenness and shame. Come and meet us in those places where our past mistakes would try to say you're disqualified from this mission. And God, I pray that you would reestablish our value, that you would reorder our worship, that you would teach us and show us what it means to leave that water jar behind and step into the mission that you are already on all around us. God, we want to say, send me. God, that's our heart's desire. Would you do that work in us? We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's respond in worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.